was And I Saw a New Heaven by Edgar Bainton, sung by a virtual choir in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Nick Pignatero, and this is Brewing Classical, conversations about conductors and composers and always over a cup of coffee. I'm joined today by fellow music educator and classmate now at Temple University, Michael Trichecki. We talk about our shared interest in community music like church choirs and compare it a little to the ensembles and formal school settings. Michael recently defended his master's thesis, a case study investigating singers' perspectives as they entered and now have emerged from virtual ensembles during the height of the pandemic. Specifically, Michael discusses how these singers felt and what unexpected benefits have come from more than one year singing in isolation. So, grab your favorite mug, fill it with your favorite or closest brew, and join us, won't you? Well, uh, Michael, it is it is so good to, to be with you, and thanks for coming on, on Brewing Classical. One of the things that's been really exciting about this time is that we've had, gotten the chance to know each other uh, via Zoom, um, but here we are speaking to one another via Zoom, but the thing that connects us is coffee. And I have a cup right now of some Happy Mug. I always drink Happy Mug. It's a, a roastery. Now they're out in Erie. It's called the Strong and Gentle Bear Blend with notes of milk chocolate and raisins. And it's full-bodied, they say. I um, normally go with a single origin, but this is my work coffee. So that's where we are right now. What about you? What are you drinking in that mug? I've got a, a Backyard Beans based out of Lansdale. Mm. Um can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's a medium blend. It's got notes of uh, chocolate and cherry, so kind of a similar vibe to you. Yeah, that's that's the way to get through it, especially after a, a, a nice day here. Um, so one of the things we both share in common is our, our willingness and ability to work with school ensembles. You're uh, you're a teacher in Springfield School District, right? Yeah. Uh, and you're teaching what elementary or middle school students, or? Yeah, I teach first to fifth grade general music. Great, great. Um, so you'll have a lot of these same experiences, but you also work with a choir director. Uh, as a choir director, work, work with choirs, uh, amateur and otherwise. And one of the things that I've done too over my years is I've uh, been a music director and choir director in Philadelphia and other places. And so we, I think we have a lot in common. Um, one of the biggest things I know you wrote a lot about recently and researched a lot about is, is pandemic pandemic singing, pandemic ensembles, community ensembles, especially in comparison to like school ensembles. Um, I guess my first question for you is what, what, what was your experience with these, I guess it was choir during the pandemic? Yeah, so um, as a little bit of background, I sing with a church choir based out of Malvern, Pennsylvania. And I've been singing with them for five or six years now. And when the pandemic started, the choir director was looking for just some kind of musical selections recorded at home that we could submit and pop into the Sunday live stream church services. Mm. So me and a couple section leaders, we uh, recorded to a click track and recorded some motets together or individually. And everyone sent me a track of their isolated voice recorded on their phone. And I used my uh, audio editing software to cut it together and line up consonants and all that stuff. And, put together a mini virtual choir of some tenor bass motets. And when we define virtual choir, we're talking about synchronous performance or are these performance, these are, these are. Yeah. So these are uh, individual isolated performances that are uh, each voice part is recorded isolated by themselves. And then it's 
cut together in post uh, by mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So what were like what was each musician's experience like contributing? So you know we we normally practice our music on our own and then come to the rehearsal in community music and I think in school music which can be so similar, but did they work together? Well, they couldn't work together, right? They were isolated. Right. What was that like for them? Yeah, so uh, with this recording project, it started with just a couple section leaders, and over a few months of the pandemic, it was expanded to the full choir. Everyone was welcome to participate. So this is uh, professional singers and volunteer singers. Professional singers had a pretty easy go of it. It was just singing their parts like they typically would, and there wasn't too much stress over it. The volunteer singers um, generally hated the experience. Mm. Uh, Recording in isolation was just like the antithesis of choir participation because they realized how much they love singing with people in real time and in the same room with others. And recording in isolation and by themselves and having to listen to their own voice and recording was super discouraging or uh, just led to vocal self-consciousness and a lot of self-loathing. So um, like demotivating in a type, in a way? Ugh. Yeah. That's kind of the opposite of why we come together for, for these choirs. It, like... Did it, um, I found this way in our school ensembles, but did people come to terms with um, sort of the reason for joining a choir? Like in, in the before times and, and now, you know, now, now we're lucky to be back to a lot of in-person music. Did people come to terms with the reason for joining a choir and get to identify those things? Yeah, so in my research, one of the things I was, I was focused on what motivated these singers to participate in this virtual choir uh, how they benefited from it. And then I also wanted to focus on what they valued in their church choir participation overall. So the social connections among the choir members was one of the biggest driving factors in keeping them motivated. And also this kind of duty to servicing the church and the church community through providing a semblance of normalcy through continuing the music traditions at the church with the virtual choir. And then when it came to investigating the values of church choir participation, a lot of people realized that they were motivated by the connections they have with their fellow singers. And that was what kind of kept them going. That's what motivated them the most and what they cared about the most. Multiple of the participants in my study said that the pandemic helped them realize that they valued their role as leaders of the worship service at the church, which was something that some of them hadn't really come to terms with before. Hmm. Because uh, one participant on, in one of our interviews was talking about how she kind of viewed her choir participation prior to the pandemic as an opportunity to kind of pursue her love of music that she's had since she was little. But through participating in the virtual choir and now coming back to in person, she realizes that her work isn't just for her personally, but also for the congregation at large. And it enhances that worship experience, either in person or online. So it's kind of, they're contributing to a, a greater cause than just singing music twice a week. Sure. And it, it puts, it puts what they're doing once or twice a week in, into perspective a little bit more. Exactly. Um, and, and, and it kind of reminds me of um, the, the, the beauty of performance and in church music, we don't often think of what we do as performing um, as so much as a service to the, like you're saying, service to the congregation, service to the faith. But to have ears, to have live ears, humans um, next to you within the same space, uh, receiving in person from the sound, you know, the, the acoustic sound or even the electric sound, um, but the sound in the same space, de like developing that community without that, it's really like singing into the void. You know, we had that, um, that same experience in the, in the high school. Uh, the high school to me seems like a microcosm of society uh, and, and not unlike what 
uh, I, I see. I suspect a lot of my students will go on and join things like uh, perhaps the choir you were studying. And one of the things I think about is that they don't have to take these ensembles. I'm going to think specifically about our symphony orchestra at the high school, Strathaven High School, is that, you know, the students, while they have to earn certain credits and they have to earn arts credits, they can do it without joining the orchestra. And they certainly did not have to continue the orchestra during the pandemic. And those rehearsals looked and sounded totally unlike the way we would run a rehearsal any other time. Um, but I think what we recognize is that there, that going from the, the, the sound of the instrument to the ear of another person, when that is lost, we start to question the entire reason for doing things. And now that it's back, we haven't lost that, mag that magnificence. And, um, you know, I, I know that our students were pretty sad. There kind of would be one source of sound. Like perhaps I would be the one playing on the piano or there would be a recording that we're pumping through the computer speakers and the students would have to turn their, turn their microphones off and they would have to play along and give me a thumbs up or thumbs down if it went well or didn't go well. And, um, you know, I had no way of really knowing other than to ask for the occasional video and watch those videos. But they were, again, very, very isolated and very, very like... Um, I don't know, lacking, lacking in excitement. So now that we can come back to this, it's, it's, it's been really exciting. And I think, yeah, I think that the music feels like a service to the community, whether it's in church or not. Um, what about the rehearsal process? When you were rehearsing with your, or with your choir members, was there a director who was sort of uh, playing the music and everyone was singing along? Was it more of a check-in? At the high school, we did a hybrid. Uh, what, what did you all do? So for us, it was this virtual choir really relied on a lot of independent music making and independent practice. We had weekly meetings on Zoom, which mm -hmm. functioned first as a social check in just for everyone to see how they're doing, like talk about things that are going on in their personal lives. Then we'd also talk about uh, music that was uh, being recorded that week. And we'd go through notes about breaths or cutoffs, things like that, and considerations for individual recordings. But we didn't experiment with the real-time rehearsal process. Mm -hmm. Instead, everyone was kind of sent on their own to record their selections for the week on their own time. And so what's interesting is that for some people, this was great. It was a way for them to spread out their musical hobbies throughout the week and get the chance to sing a little bit every day. Some people sat down and tried to record their selections on one shot and it would take hours compared to what would typically be a two-hour choir rehearsal on a yeah. Thursday night. These people didn't necessarily join the choir for a music educational experience, but their engagement in this community choir and this church choir led to educational experiences. They had to kind of self-monitor and mm -hmm. reflect on their own performances, kind of pick apart what went well, what didn't go well, and also rehearse and practice on their own. Right. Um, so it led to this musical self-sufficiency that some of these participants didn't really have before. And some of them just are described that their musical literacy and their awareness of their own voices really increased and improved. Would you say, process. would you say it's an unexpected benefit of virtual choir? For yes. Some of these musicians? Definitely. Um, not everyone felt it because some sure. people, like I said, were so self-conscious and uh, just so frustrated by the process itself that they just quit recording for the virtual choir. Um, but there was a small handful of participants in my study that did describe uh, benefiting from it and actually looked forward to 
getting the chance to improve their musical skills or at least maintain their skills when in-person singing wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering too, um, we found this at the high school that sometimes the orchestra's Zoom class was one of the few places that people felt comfortable like turning their microphone on and saying something or um, just seeing someone else on the screen also moving the bow up and down or playing into the trumpet like was inspiring for some people. It kind of became like a, not for all, but for some of us a family um, because it was like we're in this together. We also had this hybrid situation in which some people, once, once we got to the point where uh, schools figured out how to bring some students in and have some students at home, we had some people playing in person. And what we could actually do for the most part, we mostly played outdoors. So here we were with, um, you know, about 80 or 90 people on Zoom and maybe five to 10 people in the courtyard of the high school, a couple violins, a trumpet and a tuba or something like this, and then a saxophone. And we, and those of us who were in the room sort of became a small group and it was sort of the same people all the time. And then there was like the, the Tuesday people, did the, the, the Thursday we would switch. Um, but we, a small bond developed, sort of a, fa a familial bond. Is that something that your choir experience, is that, you know, something we've seen in research that, that tells us that these ensembles build that sort of family thing? And did that continue through, through Zoom for you? Yes. Um, so existing research has shown that participating in a choir and community choirs leads to uh, these familial bonds like you're describing that, uh, seeing each other once a week at a rehearsal is kind of an opportunity to connect with people that you're like all in this together. Right. It's like, right. Yeah. And so I was curious about that too, how that would hold up in the virtual space. And surprisingly uh, for many participants, they felt more connected with their fellow choir members through this pandemic period of only being on zoom with each other. And there are a couple of reasons for it. One of the most prevalent reasons was, so we weren't, rehearsing in the traditional sense in these Zoom meetings, but instead we went around the Zoom room and everyone just got to say a little bit about what was going on, have a conversation with the full group. And so we got to know about uh, fellow choir members in ways that the typical rehearsal wouldn't really lend itself to that like social time. Mm. So we got to know each other a bit more on a deeper level. And I think that led to a bit more of like a personal connection and uh, investment in one another. And so coming out of the pandemic and into the in-person choir, multiple participants reflected on feeling more connected with their fellow choir members and realizing that this social dynamic is more than just a group for music making, but is a, it's like a choir family. And there's a lot of love shared between those choir members for sure. And, you know, I found um, through this study too, I, there's not a lot of research out there about church choirs in music education. Um, which is why I framed this study all around community music, because there's a ton of research on community choirs and community ensembles. The more I talk to these participants, I realize that this is a form of adult music education. It's mm. not as formal as they're there for a class and they're there specifically to learn music, but they are learning through their choir participation. And it's something that they've been a part of for m many of them decades, their entire lives and something that they want to continue with. Um, and so it was interesting and also um, eye-opening to work on this study and then realize that music education is more than just pre-K to 12 music, but it's so much more than that. And I think adult music education is such a valuable form of it. And to see these connections between adult ensembles and school ensembles is, uh, I think, a pretty important connection to make. 
Well, why don't this is a great time now to, to listen to one of these recordings. Uh, Michael, I'll let you go ahead and, and introduce this as we get set to listen. Yeah, we're going to listen to an anthem that was recorded for All Saints Day Evensong Choral Service. Uh, and this is Bainton's And I Saw a New Heaven. Fabulous. Why don't we give it a listen? Michael, that was fabulous. I mean, one of the things I noticed immediately is, is the interplay between the chorus and the organ. How, how did you manage this virtually? Yeah. So the way this particular performance was recorded was the organ was recorded in the church with two choir members there in person for this recording session. So the organ and those two singers were there kind of as a reference. And then the section leaders, the hired singers, then recorded, or they would listen to that in headphones and then record their voices isolated on top of that. Hmm. They would send me their recordings. I compiled that together. Um, and then from there, um, I would send it off to the full choir. They would hear all the voice parts being performed in this reference recording, hear that in their headphones, record their voice on their phone, send me that. And then I would one by one add the additional choir members into that full mix. My colleagues and I got together. Uh, one of my colleagues decided to perform um, Viva La Vida by Coldplay. I think it was on the top of the pile. I thought, oh, this is relevant for students. But it was easy enough, and we, and we pulled it off. And students were asked to play to a backing track. In fact, I think we, we inputted some of the notes into, into a MIDI file so they could actually listen to it as they played along with the click track. And then there I was late one night in my classroom recording myself conducting to a fake orchestra. And so we put this video together, and it kind of sounds that way too, um, which – you know, it was kind of a crowning jewel for what we were able to perform. And I think, you know, the, the, the organist and the two singers might have had that live experience. But one of the things that was lacking, though, is while it was neat, this, um, the orchestra experience was neat, at, at no point did anyone play in the same room. Um, fast forward, though, to the end of that school year where I was able to um, actually rehearse people live. And it kind of got us back to a moment in which we were able to experience like the the givings and misgivings of community music uh in a school setting so it was totally optional um students in my ensembles this was this this particular one was the wind ensemble and symphonic band so band students um we decided to get together and record graduation music thinking that graduation would either be indoors and therefore we couldn't bring all the winds in at the time and uh, that would this the, our, we weren't sure if our hvac was strong enough to, or we had enough room or whatever um, but we knew that there would be a screen and a projector on the football field. And that's where this graduation would take place. And so we recorded a video of the band playing um, very, very distant uh, with playing masks, even outdoors and bell covers, even outdoors. But for the first time, we were able to rehearse something live. And the difference was startling. Well, let me give you a, a preview of what that is. 
when we came out of that recording experience, everything changed. It, it, it validated musical ensembles because like I said, it was almost like community music. It might be similar to your choir experience where these students didn't, they could have gotten an A without doing this. There was no reason they had to, it was extra. But these were people that maybe we all took music, in-person music for granted. Um, and then we got the chance to do this and it was awkward and it was strange and it was different, but it reminded us of just how important this connection is. Yeah, so I think similarly, a lot of the choir members on an individual level have kind of had to interrogate with themselves, like, why do we do this? Mm -hmm. What is the reason that keeps me coming to rehearsal on Thursday nights? And what has me waking up early on Sunday mornings to show up for rehearsal and then singing the services? Um, and I think what's really incredible is that the exact people or the same exact group of people who were singing with us prior to the pandemic all returned to the choir when we came back in person and they're still singing with us and we've actually added more members too and I think it just led to this deeper value and care for the work that we're doing and has led to a lot more of an appreciation for that musical process that in the moment kind of intangible feeling of everyone just sharing this special thing together um, and also just a deeper appreciation of the people that they're sharing that moment with. Is this consistent with uh, other musical ensembles and your experience around around the country, around the world and research and literature? In the community re music research that I found, it's that sharing that experience with other people is what makes it most meaningful. Mm -hmm. And that musical experience, while a love of music is what gets people into or is the catalyst for a lot of community music participation, it's these connections and these bonds that are built over time is what keeps people coming back and keeps them motivated. That's what they benefit from the most. can't believe it we're almost out of time with our conversation it's been going so quickly um but one thing i do with all the guests is i ask seven quick questions in an attempt to um elicit a very quick response and to get to know you a little bit better before we leave is, is are you game all right yeah all right well here we go question number one uh, what's one recording album that everyone should hear one album i think everybody should hear uh, my first gut reaction is the phosphorescent blues by punch brothers uh it takes the instrumentation of bluegrass and has one foot in tradition and then also one foot in something that's pretty progressive and tastefully done in my opinion. So it's a little bit of something for everybody. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Along those lines, what's your guilty pleasure music? Ooh, uh, I don't know how guilty I feel about it, but <laughs> um, I feel like Dua Lipa's future nostalgia that whole record is what got me through some of the darkest months of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing guilty about it either, right? Oh, no shame here. <laughs> well, what's the strangest thing anyone has ever asked you to play? Uh, I was requested to play Cotton Eye Joe at a gig. Uh, what type of gig? So uh, I play with a bluegrass folk-ish band. Um, and we were playing at an event for like a pretty upscale, like wealthy social club barbecue mm -hmm. 
event. <laughs> we're playing like some bluegrass standards and some folky versions of classic rock tunes. And apparently like the owner of the establishment was like, my favorite song is Cotton Eye Joe. Can you play Cotton Eye Joe? And so during one of our breaks in between sets, we're like, uh, we're going to learn how to play Cotton Eye Joe. Who or what got you started in music? I was singing Disney songs since I was mm-hmm. a little kid. So I've always been singing and interested in singing, but I didn't start doing anything serious until I was in third grade and played viola. Uh, mm. And I thought it was just the most important thing in my life. And I was really all in about the viola. I just what I all talked about and uh, played all the time. And I wanted to start my own string quartet with my friends in third grade <laughs> and like play out on the street corner or something in my neighborhood. So it's kind of just been a uh, snowball from there. My goodness. Um, who's one composer or band or artist, one composer, band or artist that you wish you knew more about? I would like to spend a bit more time with Stravinsky. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything I've heard by Stravinsky I've loved. Um, but I think taking a deeper dive would be pretty valuable. I know all the hits, you know. Yeah, well, we know his early stuff, the ballets are, are quite good. His Symphony of Psalms then turns into serialism and it becomes pretty out, which is, but it's cool if you can stomach it and take some time. What's your most unpopular opinion? Music people like that you really don't. My opinions on jam bands which mm-hmm. is pretty frequently sometimes i'm like oh, okay i get what's going on here other times i'm just like nah this just isn't for me right. um i went to you know it's funny there was one jam band in particular that um i had some friends that who were connected with and i like would listen to their records every once in a while and thought it was okay went and saw them live in concert and i was like no nah, i kind of hate this really? <laughs> which is it's a shame because you know everyone's there just like vibe and have a good time and like they're people who are into jam bands are into jam bands sure and I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Last one, and it's perhaps the biggest one. Should I encourage my students to make a career in music? Uh, if they love it, yes. Well, right. M- Michael, it's been great to chat with you. I'm um, out of coffee. looks like you are close. Yeah. Uh, um, so it, well, good to see you, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right, bye-bye. Thank you very much, Nick. Thanks for having me. Classical grew out of COVID-19 stay-at-home restrictions when all of us needed just a bit of music to get through the day. My hope is that you took your mind off your everyday life during this episode and are a bit refreshed and more ready to face the next day. Michael Trichecki is a performer, songwriter, producer, and music educator from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. With a diverse background in rock, folk, and choral music, Michael has performed at World Cafe Live, the BB&T Pavilion, Westminster Abbey, and venues across the city of Philadelphia. As a producer and engineer, Michael records local artists including his bands Andorra and Box of Books, with albums available on all major streaming platforms. As an educator, both in the classroom and in private lessons, Michael teaches general music, choir, voice, and guitar. Michael graduated from Westchester University with a bachelor's degree in music education and is currently pursuing a master's degree in music education at Temple University. Special thanks to the Strathaven students who challenged me to make this podcast and willed it into existence. Theme music for this episode was written and produced by Ava Fideli and Matteo Machado. 
I thank Miss Kate Plows for her tireless support and remind her that the world always needs more storytelling. Thank you, dear listener, for spending a little time with us. Be sure to rinse out your mug and let it dry for the next episode of Brewing Classical. Goodbye. Thank you.